Um, yeah, so we're reading John fifteen eighteen through to sixteen fifteen. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done anything among them, the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Thanks, Heather, and good morning, everyone. I wonder if you can do something for me before we start this morning. If you don't have a printout of the words of the passage that Heather just read, um, I'd love you to have one of those in front of you. There are some on the hall table. Um, Just jump up now and go and grab a copy of those. Um, Perhaps one between two would be enough, but I would love you to have a printout in front of you. It'll help you um, with what we're reading and looking at this morning. should introduce myself. My name's Carl. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity Church Unley. Thank you for joining with us on this lovely day as we spend some time trying to get our heads around this. Quite, it's quite a tricky passage, isn't it, that Heather just read to us. There's a lot in there. Um, and so Lou has kindly printed out the words for you, I think, because there's so many ideas on view here. I think it's great to have the passage in front of you. So if you don't have one of those printouts, now would be a great time to go and grab one uh, and you'll be able to follow along 
that way this morning. Well, I wonder if you're, are you a, a good news or a bad news first kind of person? Perhaps you've heard the, the story about the man who visited the doctor for some tests and the doctor said to him, do you want the good news or the bad news first? And the, the patient says, oh, I'll take the good news, thank you. And the doctor says, great, well, if you take one of these pills every day for the rest of your life, all your symptoms are going to disappear. And the patient says, oh, that's terrific, thank you, that's great. And he starts to open up the pill bottle and inside, well, he says, doctor, there's only three pills in here. And the doctor says, yeah, well, I was getting to the bad news. <laughs> the passage that we've just read, or Heather's just read to us, and hopefully you've followed along, is a passage that has both good news in it and, I think, bad news in it. The bad news probably jumps out at you as you read. If the world hates you, it says, keep in mind that it hated me first. I imagine that none of us like the idea of being hated. Bit of a concern, isn't it? And if you're worried about being hated by the world, look at how the religious leaders treat the disciples. It's there in verse 2 of chapter 16. They'll throw the disciples out of the religious buildings, the synagogues, and they might even kill them. This is a real bad news story. This is not just a harmless dust-up. These, these disciples might lose their lives over what's coming. It's a bad news aspects in this story, but there's also some good news The good news is that Jesus has a gift for the disciples. It's a parting gift, a gift that he leaves them. And that gift is the advocate. The advocate's their helper or their legal counselor, their defender. And verse 7 of chapter 16, we see that it is for the good of the disciples that they'll get this advocate. Now, as I said, Luella's printed out these um, words for you, and I'd love you to follow along with them this morning. Um, Even if you've got a uh, Bible on your phone or something like that, having these words in front of you and a pen, it'll, you'll be able to mark them up as we go along and I'll get you to do that a little bit as we work our way through this passage. But before we go any further, I want to remind you of where we're up to in the story. Jesus is or has been having a meal with his disciples. We know it as the Last Supper today, that time where he was in the upper room of the house and he shared the bread and the wine with his disciples. And it's the night before he's about to die. The very next day, in fact, Jesus will be hung on a cross and he'll be killed. He knows that. He said that time and time again in the last few pages of the story. He says that even in this bit of the story. We see that there in verse 5 of chapter 16. And so this is the last time he gets to pass on his final thoughts to his disciples, his final bits of encouragement, his final instructions for them. And what I want you to remember is that Jesus is in control. He knows what's going on. He knows that he'll be dead the next morning. And so he's passing on his last instructions and last encouragements to his disciples. And what's he trying to say in this passage? What's the the really big thing he wants his disciples to remember and to know? Well, I think it's there in verse 1 of chapter 16. In fact, I'd like you to underline, that's what we've got these passages in front of us, with a pen, underline verse 1 of chapter 16. All this, Jesus says, all this I have told you so that you will not fall away. Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's about to die. The disciples loved him. He was their friend and their Lord. Jesus says, it's going to be tough. And so he encourages and urges his disciples, don't fall 
away. Now, if you were with us last week, this is kind of a continuation of what we we looked at last week, isn't it? Where Jesus said, stick with me or remain in me. Don't fall away. That's the first part of the big idea in this, this passage. The second bit, I think, is there in the last verse of chapter 15. Don't fall away, says Jesus, because, well, because there's work to be done. And what's the work that the disciples need to do? Well, they must go on testifying about who Jesus is. So so can you do something for me, please, with your pages? Can you please just draw a circle around the last verse of chapter 15 and the first verse of chapter 16, and then just mark them up as the the big idea? Or to put it another way, if, if this was the minutes of a meeting that you'd just been in, the end of chapter 15 and the start of chapter 16, they're the action items from the meeting. These are the, the to-do things. Don't fall away. Why not? Because there's work to be done. And the work is testifying about Jesus. And I take it that's testifying about him even after he's died. And Jesus tells his disciples it's not going to be easy. And that's the bad news in this passage, isn't it? The disciples are going to be hated and they're going to be abused and they might even be killed. Let's take a bit of a look at this bad news bit in the story. Let me read to you from the start of verse 18 of chapter 15. Start of your passage in your printout. This is what it says. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Now, when John speaks about the world, he, he means those who are, who are outside of you know, the friendship of Jesus, those who are, aren't disciples of Jesus. And here he's saying, don't be surprised if you find the world hating you. I wonder if you've ever been at the receiving end of hate. It's not a nice place to be, is it? The receiving end of hate. Can you imagine how the pizza worker who caused that snap lockdown for us a few months back, how, how he felt for a couple of days before the kind of the full story filtered out? He was, he was hated, wasn't he? He was accused as being a liar. And we were told that the reason why we had to be shut down as a state was because of him. For a few days, he was at the receiving end of the hatred of a whole state. Imagine how tough that would have been. I don't think any of us like to be hated. For most of us, we're so desperate to be liked that we've probably never really considered what it truly means to be hated. And yet, here Jesus tells his disciples, don't be surprised if the world hates them. And yet, it's not just the world, is it? Come down to verse 2 of chapter 16. This is what it says. They... Here I think he's speaking about the religious leaders. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. The world hates the disciples, but even the religious people, the the leaders of the Jewish churches are going to throw the disciples out of their buildings, out of their churches, out of their, their synagogues. They might even kill them. And what's more, they'll be doing that, trying to please God. Now, if you're one of Jesus' disciples, either today, a disciple of him, or in the day when this was written, this is not good news, is it? Terrible news, in fact. But for the 11 disciples who are now left with Jesus at this point, Judas has already left them, this must have been devastating news. 
is their master. He's told them a number of times now that he's leaving them. And he was the one who, for the last three years, he was the one who always got them out of the tough spot, out of the scrape that they were in. You know, he was the one who, when the boat was sinking because of the storm, he was the one who quietened the waves. He was the one who fed the hungry masses when food couldn't be found. He was the one who turned the water into wine at the wedding when it had run dry. And now he's about to leave them. And his disciples are going to be hated by the world. Hated by the religious establishment. And their hero, the one who'd always got them through these things in the past, he's not going to be there anymore. And so what does Jesus say to them? Don't fall away. Instead, keep testifying about me. Being a disciple of Jesus, it's no easy thing, is it? Wasn't then and it's not today. Here's a question I think we should ask as we work our way through this passage. This is the why question at this point. Why is Jesus hated? Why are the disciples going to be hated? What is it about them? What is it about Jesus? I mean, as we read the stories of Jesus, as we look back on what he did, he seemed like a pretty terrific guy. I mean, he he fed 5,000 people who turned up to listen to him. And and when they went past dinner time, because he was talking for so long, he just made bread and fish appear, didn't he? He was an all-round nice guy. Healed people. Why could the world possibly hate him? Where's the hatred coming from? I'll show you in the text, but before we do that, I want you just to have a think about how it felt when someone last pointed out a flaw in your character or a fault in your life or when someone highlighted a belief in your way of doing things that you knew you needed to change. Even if they did it really gently and kindly, how did you feel when that happened? Because I want you to see that this is what Jesus does. His job was to convict the world of its sin. Now we can be wrong sometimes, can't we, in life? Sometimes we need to change. Maybe it's a behavior that we need to change. Maybe it's a belief. It's never easy to do so. And that's what Jesus came doing. He came showing our need to be saved. Let me show you this from the passage. Come with me to verse 21 of chapter 15. If you've got your printouts there, look at me as I look with um, with me on those words as I read. This is what it says, if they persecuted me, this is Jesus speaking, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way, that is, they will hate you and persecute you. Why? Because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Up to verse 22, and here it is, here's what I want you to underline or circle again. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Can you underline those words in verse 22? Whoever hates hates me hates my father as well. And here we go again, verse 24. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen and yet they have hated both me and my father. So can you make sure that you've underlined or circled or marked up in some way verses 22 and 24 of this passage? Why does the world hate Jesus? Why are people about to kill him? Well, it's because he came to convict the world of its sin. Just like the prophets of old. Jesus spoke words that were designed to convict his hearers of their need for him, of their sinfulness. 
And he spoke words that should have left no doubt as to who he was and what they needed to do. And the truth is that they needed saving. And if they missed the words that he spoke, if that didn't convict them, then they should have been convicted by his works, what he did, by the miracles, by the way he acted. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He was no ordinary man. And this passage tells us that Jesus came speaking the very words of God. Indeed, he only spoke what the Father had him say. He came demonstrating the power of God. And he spoke in a way and he acted in a way that was designed to convict people of their sin. And when we see that and when we understand that's what Jesus came to do, then suddenly the hatred makes more sense, doesn't it? I mean, who likes to be convicted of anything that's wrong in your life? If you've ever had a sinful way or a a sinful character pointed out to you in your life, it's painful, regardless of how nicely it's done. It's painful and it's embarrassing. And so no wonder the world hates him. And Jesus says to his disciples, they will hate you too. Why? Well, their role is to go on testifying about Jesus, to go on pointing to Jesus and in doing so, convicting people of their sinfulness. Now, you might be here today because someone invited you along just to get to know Jesus a little bit more. And I've just told you that Jesus wants to point out the sinfulness in your life and you're probably ready to hightail it out of here at this point. But before you do that, I want you to see this also. Jesus does this work of of pointing to our failures, our sinfulness, because he loves us. Because he wants us to be part of God's family. He cares about you, he cares about me, and he loves us so much that the very next day after he said these words, he goes to the cross to die for us. If you're unsure about this, this is a This is the most famous verse in John's Gospel. It's from chapter 3. This is what it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. See, Jesus desired to convict the world of its sinfulness That doesn't come from an egotistical desire on Jesus' behalf to be right. Or he doesn't get any joy out of being the one who who shows people their sinfulness. No, it comes because he loves the world and he wants each one of us to know God and to find our place with him in God's family. But at the same time, God is a holy God. And that means that we as sinful people, we can't come into God's family as we are. It's just like oil and water, they don't mix. God and sinful people can't be together. To be in God's family, we need to be saved. We need Jesus and his work to cleanse us and to make us right. We need him to die in our place. That's why he convicts us. He does it because he loves us and he wants us to be with him in his father's house. That's why John wrote this gospel. He tells us that he wants us to believe that Jesus is the Messiah so that we might have life with him. That Jesus does this convicting work not because he wants us to be hated. He does this convicting work because he loves us. Now if we go back to the disciples, can you see why they too might be hated? Because if they continue on in the work that Jesus has set them up to do, testifying about him, then they'll probably be hated. 
And I think that applies to us today as well, those of us who would call ourselves disciples of Jesus. And so it's worth, I think, asking ourselves, are we hated by the world? Now, I don't think this is a diagnostic tool. Let me be clear here. Verse 18, have a look at it with your, on your passage. Verse 18 starts with the word if. If the world hates you, Jesus is saying, he's not saying that the world will definitely hate you. There is an if at the start of this passage, if you are disciples. But it is worth asking questions like this of ourselves, I think. When did we last do something differently from the world around us because we belong to Jesus? Or when did we last say something that's different to the narrative all around us because Jesus is our Messiah? Or when did our testimony about who Jesus is convict those around us of their sinfulness and their need for a saviour? Remember the action item in this passage. You also must testify. For you've been with me from the beginning. The work of Jesus' disciples, you and me, if you call him Lord and Saviour, is to testify about Jesus. I think that might lead us to clash with the world sometimes. Or at least might lead us to clash with the narrative of the world. Here's a question, when or what do we need to take a stand over or for, for the sake of the gospel? That's hard to do, isn't it? If you're anything like me, then you're thinking right now, that's just too hard, I don't want to do this. I'm not sure that I want to be hated by those around me. And yet, very thankfully, this is where the kind of good news bit in the passage kind of kicks in. See, so far, Jesus has been preparing the disciples for what might be a rocky way forward without him. He's told them, don't fall away and to expect persecution and hardship after he's gone. He's given them the bad news. But here is the good news. And the good news is that because of the departure of Jesus, he makes room for the advocate. The advocate's a bit like a, a goodbye gift sent by Jesus from the Father. Let me read to you from verse 26 of chapter 15. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. It's a gift, isn't it, from Jesus. I wonder if you've ever been given a goodbye gift. Meredith and I lived in Melbourne a few years back and we worked in a church there. It was in the inner city of Melbourne. And when we left, they gave us this as a goodbye parting gift. It's a book of photos about Melbourne. It's got some terrific photos in it. Um, this is not Errol Street, but it could have been. This was just around the corner from our house. If you've been to Melbourne, probably not in the last few months, but if you've been there, you'll recognise kind of the graffiti. And of course, it's raining, so this definitely is Melbourne. It was a goodbye gift from the church that we worked in in Melbourne. And it was given, I think, to remind us of Melbourne and um, to kind of be nostalgic in a sense. We could look back on the photos of the city. But to be honest with you, it has no practical use for us today. It's a nice book, but it's of no practical use for us today. But I once bought myself a gift, a book as well, that was a much more practical gift for me in the weeks ahead. It was a Lonely Planet guidebook. And that book was super helpful for me in my life ahead because it helped guide me through the city that we were visiting. It helped me know the places to go and the things to say and the way to behave and all those sorts of things. The gift that Jesus gives the disciples in the Advocate, is much more like a Lonely Planet guide than a photo book. 
Indeed, down in verse 14, Jesus says, the advocate will guide the disciples into all truth. And so good is this gift of the advocate that Jesus says to the disciples in verse 7 that his departure and the arrival of the advocate, it's for their good. Have a look at that. I'm about to start from verse 6. You are filled with grief because I've said these things. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, I think this is a fascinating thing for Jesus to say. It's for your good that I go, because I'll send an advocate. Now, just put yourself in the disciples' shoes, just for a moment here. The 11 disciples that are left with him. This is a pretty big claim, isn't it? Remember, Jesus was the one who got them out of the tight spots when they got into them. Remember, Jesus is their Lord and their master and their king and their friend. How could it possibly be for their good that he would go in order that he could send the advocate. Well, to wrap our heads around this, we need to remember the big idea in the passage. Don't fall away, but keep testifying about Jesus. And I want you to see that the work of the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the guide, is very much like the work that Jesus does. And he'll be of great assistance to the disciples as they testify about Jesus. In fact, if Jesus' work, as we saw before, was to convict the world of sin, then the advocate will just pick up where Jesus left off. Let me show you this. Come with me in your printouts to verse 8 of chapter 16. So the advocate is sent by Jesus from the Father and is the spirit of truth. And then his job is to continue to convict the world of its sin. When he comes, when the advocate comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. See, that's the work of the advocate. You notice anything here? This is what I see. The advocate's job, his role, is to do the same convicting work that Jesus has just mentioned that he does in the previous chapter. So here's what I'd like you to do. You've already marked up verses 22 and 24 of chapter 15. Now I want you to mark up verses 8 to 11 of chapter 16, and then I want you to connect those verses with a joining line because I want you to see the similarity of the work between Jesus and the advocate. They're both convicting the world of sin. You see how the advocate is the helper for the disciples? Keep on testifying, but be encouraged by the Spirit because the advocate will join you in this task. My goodbye gift, Jesus says, will join you in this task. He'll guide you in the truth and he'll do the work of convicting. I want you to notice how the advocate doesn't convict on his own basis, but on the basis of the words and actions of Jesus. He works in the same way that Jesus worked. Let me keep on reading. This is from the um, midway through verse 8. When he comes, the advocate, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because people do not believe in me, that's Jesus, about righteousness because I, Jesus, am going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Can you see how much of an encouragement this should have been to the disciples? Jesus is leaving and he's given them a job to do. Don't fall away, he said. It's going to be hard, but keep testifying. And here's the good news. Here's the parting gift. Here's an advocate, a helper, who will guide you in the task of testifying about me. Is that what you thought the work of the Spirit was? 
to convict the world of its sin, to keep on helping in the process of testifying about who Jesus was. That's true, that's not all the Spirit does, but certainly that is part of the Spirit's work. That's like, in a sense, Jesus has passed the baton of his work onto the Spirit. The last thing I want you to ask is, why then is this for the good of the disciples? Why is it better that the Spirit or the Advocate will come to help them in this work? And I can see just one way, at least one way, why it might be better. See, Jesus was a man, a person, wasn't he? He was physically constrained to one time and one place. Now, he was a great teacher, but he could only ever be in one place at one time. If he was here today, wouldn't it be terrific to have him speaking instead of me? We'd all love that. But if he was here with us today, he wouldn't be able to be, if he was with us in this church, in the thousands of other churches across the world who would want him at the same time. But the Spirit, the Advocate, is not constrained in this same way. He can be here, he can be there, he can be everywhere doing the work of guiding the disciples and convicting their people of their need for Jesus. He can be everywhere as opposed to in one place. But what have we seen today? Jesus tells his disciples to expect the road ahead without him to be a rocky road, but that they are to keep doing the work of testifying about him. And he says to aid them in that task, he's going to send the advocate who will keep on doing the work that he was doing. The encouragement for us today, I hope, is that the advocate is still at work with us today as we seek as a church to make and grow disciples of Jesus, as we keep testifying as to who Jesus is, we don't do it on our own. We do it with the help of the Advocate. I hope that's an encouragement for you today. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this good news, bad news part of the Bible that reminds us that our walk with you as disciples is not going to be easy. We give you thanks that in the difficulty of that you send a helper for us who will guide us in the things to say and who will keep on doing the work of convicting those around us of their need for salvation in your Son. Father, please help us to keep being a church that makes and grows disciples of you for your glory. Amen.